Spirit is saying to the church. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you love, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not, can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. May God bless to our understanding this reading from his holy word. Let's pray. Father, I pray that uh, as you have given us a new commandment to uh, love one another, I ask that you would uh, empower us by your Spirit that uh, we would do that very thing. We thank you that Jesus has loved us. Help us now to love each other as Christ has loved us. We pray in His name. Amen. The most searched phrase um, in the Google search engine for 2012 was the question, What is love? And I would guess that people are not just interested in this question in an academic sense. Um, the high interest in this question suggests two things. First, people obviously have deep longings to experience love. So they're searching Google to try and find out what love is. And second, love must be elusive since so many people are asking the question. And this leads me to ask, if people are so urgently longing to experience love, why then is it so elusive? Could it be that much of what people try to pass off as love is really a cheap imitation? Could it be that much of what people think is love is really warmed over self-centeredness. For instance, everyone would recognize that love involves sacrifice. But in many relationships, the sacrifice is really only a willingness to tolerate that person and tolerate their faults or give to that person just enough to make sure that that other person is fulfilling my needs. And so I'll tolerate you with your faults as long as you are making me happy. 
In other words, what passes for love could really be selfishness at its root. That's why much of what passes for, for true love is so feeble and breaks apart so easily. What is true, authentic love? Uh, the Bible defines love most succinctly in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter. Verses 4 through 7, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. In our passage that Dan read for us a few moments ago, Jesus told His disciples that they were to love each other like this. So look at verse 34. He says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. So He's given this commandment. And this commandment is biblical love because this love is to reflect how Christ uh, loves them. And so they are to love each other. And then He said something that I believe is absolutely remarkable in verse 35. Verse 35, By this... All people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. So Jesus is going to base His reputation and the reputation of His church on these disciples and their love for each other. Uh, that's remarkable to me. You know, one of these twelve had just betrayed Him. And, and what are these other eleven disciples doing when this one disciple betrayed them and left? When they realize that Judas has betrayed Jesus, they are saying to themselves, in effect, one down, so my chances of becoming a leading disciple just improved. I can prove that's exactly what they were saying, if not out loud, at least in their hearts. I want you to turn a few pages back to the left, back to Luke chapter 22. In your pew Bibles uh, is page 822, if that can uh, assist you. Luke 22, and look at verse 14. And if your Bible has the little... Uh, in bold titles, those are not uh, inspired, but most of the Bibles have these. Uh, and your Bible likely has the institution of the Lord's Supper there right above verse 14. Um, and uh, as you look at verses 14 through 23, it gives the account of the first Lord's Supper, Jesus instituting the Lord's Supper in the upper room. And then also he gives the account of Judas going to betray him. 
So verse 22, so the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who is going to do this. In John's account, we have Judas leaving. And uh, we saw this last week. Uh, John knew that Judas was the one who betrayed him. The disciples figured this out a few minutes later, we would assume. Um, this is Judas leaving is not here in Luke's account, but it's, we know that that's what happened. What is the very next thing that they do after Judas leaves? Look at verse 24. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was going to be regarded as the greatest. Judas leaves, and so they start thinking, well, he's, he's gone. Maybe I moved up in the rankings. And they began having this dispute at the first Lord's Supper while they are with Jesus. Jesus is about to die in 12 hours, or be hung on the cross in 12 hours. And what are they doing? They are having a dispute amongst themselves. Who is the greatest? So Jesus is going to stake His reputation and the future of the church on these disciples' ability to love each other. you see why I think this is so remarkable? 1 Corinthians, love does not envy. Love is not self-seeking. What are these disciples doing? They are self-seeking. They are envying one another, trying to see who's the greatest. And Jesus says, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples by your love one for another. I'm at a loss to convey my bewilderment. Jesus is going to conquer the world. But He's not going to use armies and weapons. He's not going to use power and wealth. He's going to use the Gospel to conquer the world. But He's not going to shout out the Gospel from heaven. He's appointed the church to be His messengers. And so, we as the church, His messengers, we begin explaining the Gospel to an unbeliever. And the unbeliever asks, how can I know that what you are telling me is really true? And we're supposed to point to verse 35 and say, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. In other words, Jesus' witness to the world is to be proven by our love one for another. This is amazing. Francis Schaeffer in his short book, uh, The Mark of a Christian, says that the one distinguishing mark of a Christian is our love one for another. Schaefer said, God gave the world the right to judge our love. So the world looks at us and says, Oh, they love each other. There must be something to this Jesus that they keep telling me about. Or the world looks at us and they say, what's up with all these factions? With all these cliques? With all these, these arguments in the church? 
they, they don't seem to like each other very much. They preach to me about Jesus, but He doesn't seem real to them. So what do unbelievers think about our witness when they observe us in action? When they observe Westminster Presbyterian Church in action? Do they see love? I think they do. Um, to be completely honest. Uh, I think this congregation does a... a a, a strong job of, of loving each other. Um, but can you see how important it is for us to practice our love toward one another? Because the, the outside world is looking. They are observing. And Jesus says, by this, by your love one for another, all people will know whether you are My disciples. Now, before we can begin congratulating each other uh, too much, we need to remind ourselves that the standard that God has given us to which our love must measure up is not ourselves. Look again at verse 34. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. In other words, Christ's standard for or Christ's love for us is the standard by which we are to love each other. Our self-congratulation quickly turns to repentance. For who among us loves one another with the love of Christ? We're going to look more at Christ's love for us, but for the moment. I want you to notice how Jesus introduced verse 34. He says, A new commandment I give to you. So He says this commandment uh, to love each other is a new commandment. But to be honest, this is not a new commandment. In Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And this came to be known as the second great commandment. The first great commandment, Deuteronomy 6, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. And it became well known that this um, passage from uh, Leviticus 19 was the second great commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. The problem was the Jewish religion had so distorted this commandment to love that it had really turned into an authorization to hate. They said, well, we're only commanded to love our neighbors. The Gentiles, they are not our neighbors. And to be holy, we must hate those Gentiles since the Gentiles do not love God. And the Jews went on to say that, well, a neighbor is defined as my equal. You know, my neighbor is the one who lives next to me. And so they found room to exempt themselves from having to love anyone who was not of the same class or of the same status. 
They justified racism, bigotry, and all kinds of hatred toward others. That's why the parable of the Good Samaritan was such a, a profound lesson as Jesus preached to the Jews. He said, he asked the question, who is your neighbor? And the answer was, this Samaritan whom you hate is a better neighbor than you. The Jews had so perverted the commandment to love that Jesus reissued the commandment as a new commandment. But in reissuing it, Jesus also added new depth to the commandment to love. We are not simply to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. We are to love each other as Christ loves us. So how does Christ love us? First, He loves us even though we are unlovely. We're sinners. Romans chapter 5 describes us as ungodly. Later in, in uh, chapter 5, or I think around uh, verses 9 or 10, Romans 5, 9 and 10, it says that we are enemies of God. So we're ungodly. We're enemies of God. And yet, Christ loves us. Someone said, and I, I could not find out who said this, um, but I read it uh, this past week. Love, this person said, loving people is about the most difficult thing that some of us do. We can be patient with people and even just charitable. But how are we supposed to conjure up in our hearts that warm, effervescent sentiment of goodwill which the New Testament calls love? Some people are so miserably unlovable, this person confessed. But Christ loves us, even though we are unlovable. And we are to love each other without qualification. We are to love each other unconditionally. We are to love other, others as Christ loved us. And Christ loves not simply with words, but also with deeds. Ephesians 5 verse 2 says, Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. He didn't just love us and tell us He loved us. He gave Himself for us. He offered Himself as a sacrifice in our place. Jesus Christ left heaven for us. Jesus came here to this world full of sin and lived a perfect life for us. Christ suffered a criminal's crucifixion for us. He endured the Father's just wrath for us. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He died a sacrificial death for us. He doesn't simply love with words, but also with deeds. We are to love each other in this congregation. Not simply with words, but also with deeds. Self-giving. Um, 
I had intended to put into my notes Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And apparently I forgot to do that. But listen to this passage. The Apostle Paul says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. And then the Apostle Paul points at Jesus Christ and says, Jesus made Himself of no account because He so loved us. How are we to love each other? As Christ loves us. And He loves also without end. Look at John 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. Judas had not left at this point. Jesus... And I made this point last week. He loved Judas to the point that Judas turned his back on Jesus and walked out the door. And even after Judas left, we saw last week, Jesus was troubled in his soul because he so loved Judas. Jesus loved Judas, Jesus loved his disciples. Jesus loves us even though we continue to be sinners. There will never be one moment where we will be worthy of Jesus' love. There will never be one moment where Jesus stops loving us. Look at verse 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. You know, we ought to put that on bumper stickers. <laughs> um, the reason I say that is this idea of loving one another. And I, I read this, and what comes to my mind are like a bumper sticker I saw recently that said, World Peace by 2021. <laughs> In other words, it ain't going to happen, <laughs> is, is my reaction to that. Because we're sinners. But then I remember Romans chapter 5, verses 5 and 6. The love that we have one for another is not energized, or does not arise from ourselves only but rather arises from God at work in us. Romans 5, verses 5 and 6. God's love has been poured into our hearts. Ah, now I know. Yes, we can love because this is God's love that has been poured into our hearts. And so he continues, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom has been give, who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, 
powerless, unable to love like Jesus loves. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. So God's love comes from Christ. It is possible for an unbeliever to love um, their spouse, to love their children, to love their friends with a deep and natural affection and to do that without God. And we can even call it love. But the love that God gives us, a love where we love each other like Jesus Christ loves uh, like Jesus Christ loves us. This is a God-empowered love that only one who knows Jesus Christ can, can uh, experience and, uh, and give to another person. We were weak, but Christ remakes us into a people who reflect Him. And we are enabled by His Spirit to love each other as Jesus loves. Not to the same degree, but with the same type of unconditional, self-giving, unending love. Christ guarantees that His church will be attractive to unbelievers because He is at work in us. If it were left to ourselves, we would be a very poor reflection on the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to make one practical um, application of how we can love each other. Uh, and I'm drawing from Francis Schaeffer uh, in his book on uh, the mark of a Christian. He said one of the most important things that we can do to display our love one for another is to say to each other, I'm sorry when we sin against each other. Um, or I, I prefer, please forgive me when we sin each against each other. And then he says a second thing that we can say to display our love one for another. I forgive you when we have sinned. Or when, when that person approaches us and says, I have sinned against you. Uh, easy to say. Very difficult to do. But when Jesus Christ is empowering your heart when he has his God's love has been poured into your heart by the Holy Spirit, this should be the natural reaction of people who belong to God. Let's pray together. Father, you have given us a commandment that is completely beyond our power to obey in and of ourselves. To love one another as Christ has loved us. Father, You have not only given us a commandment, but You have given us Your Holy Spirit. You have poured out Your love into our hearts through Jesus Christ. And He has empowered us to love each other. Oh, Father, I pray that You would help us to love each other well. Father, I pray that You would help us to remember this command 
to love each other when we are tempted to be angry with each other. Because it is more than just about us in our anger. Because there is a watching and dying world that is watching us. God, help us to be quick to repent, quick to ask forgiveness, quick to uh, give forgiveness. Because we belong to Jesus Christ. And we long to fulfill His new commandment to love one another as He has loved us. We pray in His name. Amen.